fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Friday here on the show. Greatest day of the entire week, man. You made it to the end of the week. We are now about ready to celebrate a weekend. If you work on Saturdays in the weekend, then I feel you. So do I. So let's do this together. So, Andy, what's the celebration on a Friday? Well, it's a Friday. It still has symbolic meaning, right? Welcome into it. This is the <laughs> this is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations and TV and live streaming and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, it's always great to have you, your millennial general, reporting for duty like we do every single day. We got a big show lined up, man. I have no clue how we're going to talk about everything we want to as the story goes every day, but we'll do our darndest like we do every single day as well. It's time for us to carpe diem all over this place is what we do. Bottom of this hour, Chris Sinicola. He is with the Pioneer Institute. He's the co-editor of the latest book, Restoring the City on a Hill. How do we bring civic engagement back to the younger generations? How do we change some of the civic engagement to actually show true history and true civics in our public education system. What do we do to get things back on track and allow the younger generations to actually understand what the greatness is in this nation? We'll have some fun conversation with him coming up at the bottom of this hour in just a little bit. There is a lot going on in Washington, D.C., man, and I have some really awesome news. I want to get to that in just a minute. But before we do, man, I told you we need to be aware of this, whether you like him or dislike him, whether you're concerned, whether you're pro whoever for your Republican field, fill in the blank name for your Republican candidate of choice for the primaries in the 2024 presidential elections. We need to be aware of what the um, view looks like right now from the outside looking in. Step away from being a, if you are a Republican or if you're a Democrat, because we have both listeners on this program, step away from your political ideology, step away from your partisanship for a minute, step back at the 30,000 foot view for just a moment and take a look at this political landscape for the potential candidates in our latest and what's trending. Because what's trending today? Because I told you, and we've been asking the question, on how independent candidates may be affecting this race. Because if it comes down to, which right now looks more than likely like it's going to be a rematch of a Donald Trump and Joe Biden election, although the Joe Biden thing's still up in the air because we are going to see Operation Joe Biden trip down the stairs while trying to tie his shoe come into play at some point relatively soon, I think. I mean, we are going into the end of the fourth quarter, or at least the middle of the fourth quarter right now. We are, I mean, by January, man, the lineups need to be laid out. It needs to be made up, and both sides need to have pretty much an idea of what direction we're going to go. That starts January, February. So we're coming down to the wire, man, and Joe Biden desperate to stay on the ticket right now, desperate to try and run for office. I don't know why, since he can't speak normally and coherently already, why he would even want to, because you would think that as a politician, all right, I've done my di- I've done my bidding, I've made my money, I'm going to have my lifetime pension, it's going to be great. Now I'm going to go and enjoy the family time. But with typical politicians and the egos that come along with that, they don't want to let things go. They love the power more so than just living the cushy life and just going and fam- enjoying family. Nonetheless, that's not the point I want to get to. The independent candidates could be 
a major factor in this race. Now, I will tell you straight up that so far, obviously, no independent or third-party candidate has won the presidency of the United States. Let's take it a step further. There has been no independent or third-party candidate that has been even a major player in a presidential race. The only thing that they've done is pulled just enough from one side or the other to manipulate a race. Not saying that they're not impactful, because they are. They're just not going to have a chance winning. However, some of the numbers are looking vaguely interesting for the third-party candidate, especially the big one, which is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. after stepping away from the Democrat Party and going independent. As according to the latest Quinniac poll, I don't know if you've seen these numbers And again, take polls with a grain of salt. Be very skeptical of them because they're just a generalization. But at the same time, looking at these types of numbers is quite intriguing. According to the latest Quinniac poll that was released just a day or so ago, the latest hypothetical 2024 general election matchup shows that he's relatively close. According to the poll, Biden got 39% support. Donald Trump received 36% support. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr., according to Quinniac, the environmental lawyer and anti-vaccine activist. I love how they label him as an anti-vaccine activist and environmental lawyer. Uh, He received, get this, 22% in this poll. Now, 22%. I don't know of another independent third-party candidate that's received such high numbers. Now, I have been asking on this program whether you like RFK, which I have to admit, I like a lot of factors of RFK Jr., I do like it. That would not make me change to vote independent because I realize that's a wasted vote and pulling away from a candidate that's actually able to win and from someone who I'm more aligned with. But I do like RFK Jr. Not enough to vote for him, but I like him a lot. RFK Jr., the question is, will he be pulling more from Democrats or Republicans? And right now, with Donald Trump and Joe Biden between within about a 3% margin of each other, and by the way, margin of error is usually 3 to 5%, so let's essentially say that they are neck and neck right now. They are pandering to a group that's going independent to a 22% to RFK Jr. Who is the makeup of that? And if he were not in the race, where would they essentially be is the big question. Among independent voters alone, it continues on with this poll, We're not talking registered Republicans or registered Democrats. Independent voters alone, they say 36% goes to RFK Jr., 31% goes to Donald Trump, and 30% goes to Joe Biden. Among independent voters all by themselves. A three-way split evenly, essentially, slightly leaning a little bit more towards Donald Trump and independent votes, but RFK Jr. winning that one, and then an essential tie split 50-50 between Trump and Biden, on those independent votes right now. This is interesting. I, I've i never seen someone like this that, have, that was able to pander to both sides of the aisle pretty much equally right now with a three-way split among independent voters and a polling as high as what an independent candidate has done before like RFK, is, uh, RFK Jr. is doing. Now, taking if you really want to look and see where he's appealing to the most, I guess you want to say, not only do we look at the polls on voters, But we also need to look at where a lot of money's coming in, right? We want to see where some of the donors are, who the donors are, and what they typically support. Uh, There's a new study done by Politico.com looking into the finances for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. 
And so far, he's raised, oh, I don't know, not a whole lot of money compared to some of the other candidates. So he is struggling and still relatively far behind. However, it does break it down based on the type of donations that he has received. And according to Politico.com, RFK Jr. has received roughly $5.1 million from just small dollar donations. You and I donating 20, 30, 50, 100 bucks, that sort of thing. Uh, and here's the big part. The he's received the biggest amount of money, six point six million dollars from large donors, larger corporations, larger sums of money at a time that have no recent history of political donations. That is his biggest category, by the way, is the large donors that have no recent donation history whatsoever. We don't know where they stand. They've never donated to a political campaign before. That's his biggest. His second biggest is the small donations at $5.1 million, which are, by the way, about even between the two. The other two categories are ones with donations that have previously been from Democrats and donations that have previously come from Republican donors. And both of them are about evenly matched again. $1.4 million coming in from donors that have been historically supporting Democrat candidates, and $2 million that have come in that have historically been heavy Republican donors. 1.4 to $2 million, slightly up on the Republican side, but relatively about evenly matched. This is a candidate, and some people are saying, all right, this is cool. Finally, a third-party candidate could come in and break up the two-party system. Some people could be saying that. Other people could be a little concerned. Because if you're a relatively big Republican, if you've been a registered Republican for a long time, if you're a big Trump supporter, for example, a MAGA individual, this could be a warning sign that some Republican ranks are starting to break off and go third party. All Democrats are doing it as well. But if this is going to be on both sides of the aisle, the question still remains on who's going to pull more away from their constituency and their party to go third party with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And with these numbers, he still doesn't have a chance of winning, but who is he going to upset most? These are fascinating numbers to me. Uh, as you know, I'm kind of a dork, and I enjoy some of the internal politics on campaigns and uh, try to see who they're pandering to, who they're talking to, and kind of the strategy they use on the campaign trail. And while he's out there openly advocating for breaking up the two-party system, he might be one of the first candidates to have a viable option of doing so, not to necessarily win the election, but to shake up enough from both sides to really show that there is a demand for it, a need for it. And every election, as you know, every election we hear, this is the year third party candidates are going to win. This is the year the independent's going to do it. This is the year that uh, the Libertarian Party is going to do it. And I always laugh, especially for the Libertarians. I love you, Libertarian Party. I love you, libertarian individuals. I love you to death. I, As you know, on this program and the way that we talk on this show, you know that I have a lot of libertarian flavor to my ideological views and political views and theoretical views. But the Libertarian Party itself is never going to do anything solely because you are so wicked, wildly independent thinkers, which is not a bad thing, but you're so wicked, wildly independent thinkers that you can never have a structured base or a foundation or a platform of a party because you always end up arguing amongst each other and you can never move forward as a unified party. Uh, because the idea of a unified party is a collective thought, and that's something that goes against the basic fundamental principles of a libertarian. So you're so wicked, wildly independent that you can't form an opinion and a foundation of an actual platform 
for the party. And I understand it and I respect the hell out of you for it. But that's why you're never going to win a race. That's why you're at a local race all the way up to a national federal race. You're never going to win an election. And it's because of that, which is why I always try to advocate for you. Come back to the Republican Party. Come back to us. I know that you left us a long time ago. Because, and for justified reason, again, I understand when Ron Paul was shunned and run out of the Republican Party because he was such a quote-unquote wackadoodle, you guys left with him and you're like, I can't deal with the Republicans because they're just as big government as Democrats. I get it. I understand it. They're trying to do the same to the conservatives. Conservatives and libertarians unite, baby. Let's work together and let's bring this party back because then we can still squabble about a few social issues here and there, but let's have our fundamental uh, fundamental values of conservatism, libertarianism, of what I call on our three pillars of conservatism here on this show, the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to private property. And we can all agree on those things as liberty, libertarians and conservatives. Let's work together here. Independents, there's, what, 200 different quote-unquote third-party independent uh, parties out there across the United States. And running as a straight independent, you never know what they stand for. And the majority of the time, they're a little bit more left-leaning. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is slightly left-leaning on some issues, Second Amendment issues, and some other government projects where he thinks the government's there to solve the issue. And I disagree with him on many of those. On some of those fundamental principles, though, I do agree with him. So he's playing it fairly down the middle for an independent candidate that usually pretends to be, I'm an independent, but it's usually pretty much left-leaning. But that shows that they usually pull predominantly from Democrats in their races. This time, that's not the case. And Republicans, be prepared. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. So here's what I have to say about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Then we'll move on here in just a moment. But it's kind of weird. It's refreshing. It's kind of different to see some of the candidates, many of the candidates, not just for president, but really all across the country for congressional races, being the candidate for the quote-unquote non-establishment. And we're seeing it on both sides of the aisle, but more so on the Republican side of being against the deep state, being against the establishment. The other side of the aisle, the Democrats, their quote-unquote non-establishment are the wicked wild socialists saying, hey, the party hasn't gone far enough. We need to rebrand socialism. We've never had a pure socialist nation in our life before. And if that's the... <laughs> I know, there's there's weird people that actually say, say that. I know the the AOCs, the squad types, they're the ones that say socialism has never been done truly before. If we could just have a more pure socialist nation, then all of a sudden everything would be great and we wouldn't have to worry about it. The government totally wouldn't be committing genocide against its entire people. They wouldn't be enslaving everybody. But that's what happens when you give government all the power. And when you create a socialist nation, that's what you get is you get centralized power. I know they try to lie to you by changing the definition of socialism on Google. Oh, yeah, Google it compared to the Merriam-Webster dictionary made from like 20 years ago. Look at the difference. Oh, it's a government that's held by the people. No, it's not. By the people. What does that even mean? Well, the government. Yeah, okay. From the government. But they control the distribution of the means of production and they control the economy and you go down the road. It's the government, the centralized power 
at the federal level. And if we could just have a more pure socialist nation, everything would be great. And there's this massive new fad now, this new trend, which is good, that we want anti-establishment candidates. We have Donald Trump that really started this in 2016. We're going to be the non-establishment. We're going to be the outsider. We don't want to be involved in what D.C. has been doing for the swamp over the years. We're going to be the new fresh blood coming in and changing things up. Never been a politician. We're going to change up the system. Now we have Vivek Ramaswamy, as well, along with Donald Trump, new candidates there. We have congressional races all over the country claiming to be that outsider, that uh, fresh blood, that fighting the establishment. And what RFK Jr. has done is he has essentially created that anti-establishment movement as well, fighting the two-party system. The weird part about that is, is that he's a Kennedy. And the Kennedy family has been involved in politics and power for a very long time. But as a Kennedy, kind of the old guard, old style Democrat in the in the country, he's running as an independent, as the outsider, where you got to admit, I mean, he has been shunned by the party and his own family because of his stances on vaccines and some of the other things that he fights for, which I give him a hat tip for big time. But as an establishment family, he's running as an outsider. And it wor- it's working for him for whatever reason. It's refreshing because we do have such an anti-establishment mindset in this country, except for the Democrats who are like, let's please give us the same old uh, candidate that we've had for the last 40 years. They'll totally solve everything nowadays if you just give them more power. They'll totally get whatever they want to done because they've only had 40 years to get it done and never been able to do so. But RFK Jr., I've been saying this, and people keep laughing at me. People keep thinking it's strange, keep disagreeing with me. But I'm going to continue to say it. I think that Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is going to be a bigger threat to the Republican side of the aisle than he's going to be on the Democrat side. He will pull away some Democrats, but the Democrat Party has changed, and his style of Democratisms are not the same as what uh, John F. Kennedy was back in the day. They're completely different. The Democrat Party has gone so far to the left that RFK Jr. no longer fits there, which is why he's running as an independent, and he will pull some away from the Democrat Party based on a few of his left-leaning, slightly left policy, but the majority of the polls that he will get will be from the Republican side. And if Republicans, if we're looking for a Donald Trump or a big win in the 2024 election, whether it's Trump or somebody else, we have to be aware of that factor. RFK will not win, but he could throw it for the Republican Party. And we have to figure out what to do about that. We have to start planning for that. Because whether you like it or not, 2024 is right around the corner. Got lots more coming up here on The Voice Reason for a Friday. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason meets radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Oh, there's so much to get to, so I haven't even had the chance to talk about the latest appropriation bills out of Washington, D.C. They're going to be huge. They're going to be bigly, my friends, I'm telling you. And I think we're going to make it bigly. Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot to talk about with those. The Senate apparently has passed three of them this week. Yesterday, the House of Representatives passed another one, and the Democrats are losing their minds, my friend. I mean, with the amount of cuts that we're seeing from these appropriation bills with the Republican-led House representatives, now that we have a Speaker of the House, and might I add a Speaker that's a little bit more on the conservative end, the Democrats don't know what to do with this Israeli funding bill. 
They're already saying it's dead on arrival in the Senate. They're not even looking at it because they want that package deal. Why do we have to split things apart? How dare you? We're all going to die because of you! Ah! All right, so we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But I want to shift gears a little bit. Let's get into our latest in What's Trending. What's trending today? So as you know, coming up on Tuesday next week across the nation, there are local elections all over the country. I've been talking to a lot of our candidates here in the Wichita, Kansas area, where I'm flagshipped out of with our uh, main hub radio station. We've been talking to city council candidates, school board, and mayor races, which is awesome. And it's good to see that more individuals seem to be engaged going to the polls and voting for a quote-unquote off-season election. As much as I hate Using that term, off-season election, that's what they like to call it. So, But seeing the amount of voter turnout in these races is really encouraging because it seems like that the civic engagement has been on the way downward over the years. It seems like the lessons of history and civics have been going to the wayside in public schools. And it seems like there's a generation or two that are up and coming that don't quite understand how this society functions. How do we get things back on track here? As you know, that's a big focal point we like to have on this program, and I'm happy to do it with our next guest as he is with the Pioneer Institute. He's the Pioneer's Director of Communications and Media Relations. He's also the co-editor of the latest book, Restoring the City on a Hill, U.S. History and Civics in America's Schools. Happy to have on the program Chris Sinicola. Chris, how, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Andy. Thanks so much. Glad yeah. to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I love talking about this issue because it seems like civics has been kind of brushed off to the side and has been put on the back burner instead of a focal point in our public schools. And I think that's why we're seeing so many issues in the country right now. What do you think? I think there is a lot to that. Absolutely. I mean, I remember you know, from a young age being taught, whether it was called social studies or history, having maps, uh, great books and references. Of course, I was lucky. I grew up in a house that valued reading and we had a great library and all those sorts of things. And we didn't have the Internet, you know, and all the distractions of media and cable TV and all the rest of it. Um, but really, in recent years, even here in Massachusetts, where we pride ourselves on being pioneers in education, um, we've seen a real retreat uh, from you know, vigorous and rigorous the teaching of, of history and civics in our schools. I mean, it's still there. They call it different things. Uh, kids do get some exposure to it. But you have to wonder, you know, you mentioned uh, your elections coming up there. And, and, you know, I guess I'm of two minds. I love that, that folks are planning to go out to vote. But sometimes when you talk to them and hear what they don't know about civics, you wonder, should they really be going out to vote? Yeah, How meaningful is it? You know? That's a big question, especially when you don't yeah. have that R or D in front of their name like most school districts or, or mayor's races or city council races right. do in the nation. You d- you can't just lump in, well, they're a Republican, I'm just going to vote for them, or, oh, they're just a Democrat. You actually have to know what you're voting for and the uh, what a lot of old radio hosts like to say, the quote-unquote low-information voter the question is, yeah, you want civic engagement. Do you really want them to vote, though, if they don't know what the heck they're doing? Well, you know, we, we do want them to get out. That's the official line, right? Everybody gets out. Every vote must count. And uh, I'm not against that. But, boy, yeah. I would just love to see the overall quotient of civic knowledge increase. And, and really, that's one of the reasons you know, behind what Pioneer does. A lot of our focus uh, as a, a free market-oriented think tank is focused on education. Yeah. and really um, pushing for accountability and high standards and so forth. Why do you think that history and civics has kind of gone to the back burner? Because you're right. I remember in mm-hmm. – I've always loved history. My parents always mm-hmm. – I always used to read history books, and with my parents would sit down for hours and just talk about the extension of the deeper history instead of just 
just what was in the textbook. I remember in eighth grade, you know, the remembering of the, the reason that we have 13 stripes and what the colors meant and the 50 stars and how to properly fold a flag and how to properly display a flag. I don't know that that stuff's there anymore. Why did we start straying away from that? Well, um, you know, I, our research, uh, the book we've done really goes back uh, into research papers that we've done. That, uh, my pleasure and was to really boil them down and to try to create a coherent narrative to try to explain some of this. And I think there's a couple of things going on. Um, one is that when you look at what teachers are asked to do today, they're asked to do everything. My wife is a teacher, and she's out straight all the time. So it's pretty easy to test English and math and science, right? I mean, there's a right answer, there's a wrong answer most of the time. There's a little bit of, um, you know, some judgment going on in English, of course. But when it comes to history, well, look around at the culture wars. Absolutely everything is contentious. And everyone's offended by something, no matter what you say. So as a teacher, there's a tendency, I think, to shy away from that a little bit, to say, you know what? I'm just going to stick to two plus two is four, the times table, the Pythagorean theorem, teach them how to put a sentence together and leave it at that. Um, so that's one reason, that it's just very contentious. Yeah. Um, I suppose some of it is probably the culture we live in, you know, the lack of attention span, the increase in Internet resources and all the distractions and demands on our time. So there's a lot going on there, but um, those are at least two of the factors, I think, that play a big role. That makes sense. Do you think that this has impacted the patriotism of the nation when we hear a lot of the generation saying that, uh, you know, they're, they're not proud of America, that they want to move overseas, that, you know, this isn't the greatest nation on the face of the earth? Do you think that's stemming from the lack of true understanding of American history? Oh, absolutely. I think that's certainly um, at play. And, you know, I, I want to just cite one of the uh, chapters in our book, uh, Learning for Self-Government, Chapter 8. Uh, you know, sometimes, you, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, you, you kind of find the lead elsewhere than at the beginning. <laughs> so here on page 150, um, we open by saying, in 2021, the American people awoke to a crisis in K-12 civics education, not one of declining test scores and abysmal knowledge of our republic's structure and history, although that's certainly true, but the realization that partisans have imposed their political and social views. Um, so everything from you know, critical race theory to quasi-Marxist economics, the idea that America is a fundamentally racist country. I mean, we're all familiar with these arguments. We, we hear them every day. You hear them, I guess, maybe a little bit more in some of your blue states and your cities. But given today's Internet culture and you know the, everything is out there, it's hard to escape from that. And I think for young people who um, don't have the traditional underpinnings, usually, of, of religion, for example, that seems to have faded from the culture a good deal, um, often don't have two-parent households where one parent can sit down in the evening and read to them and make sure that they're doing their homework. And a lot of folks who have just kind of given up in the face of what is a relentless assault um, from the left on the cultural institutions of the country. Um, well, we're fighting back. We're saying, enough of all that. Let's fight back. Let's reclaim that that great middle ground where I think most Americans really are. Yeah, that sounds so good. We desperately need it. See, we're talking with Chris Senecola. He is the co-editor of Restoring the City on a Hill, U.S. History and Civics in America's Schools. He's also with the Pioneer Institute, which you can find online at pioneerinstitute.org. Along with the idealism of patriotism in the nation, the lack of understanding of the system of governance that we have 
is another one that I think that we've lost in society because nowadays everybody talks about democracy, which we have a flavor of democracy, but we're technically a constitutional republic. I was taught that we were a democratic republic, however you want to phrase it. But the idea of just a straight democracy, we are not. But we're now we're seeing these movements of a national popular vote and trying to rid ourselves of an electoral college, which is protection for some of these smaller populated states and, and cities across the nation. Is this a dangerous movement because there's so many that, again, don't understand the form of government that we actually have? Oh, I think it's extremely dangerous. And you, you mentioned, Andy, the uh, Electoral College and the National Popular Vote, or NPV movement. This is something um, that, for me, goes way back to my days in journalism, where I would have debates with you know, local activists from time to time and write editorials and columns about it, pointing out the virtues of federalism, the importance of the Electoral College, And I like to say to folks who may not have as much life experience, that's a nice way of saying I'm getting older, that um, (laughs) if you thought Florida in 2000 was bad, imagine um, a country where there is the possibility of recounting every ballot in every city and town across the country. Mm. That 37 days or whatever it was before we had a winner in that election might have been uh, 37 months or who knows, we might have split apart as a country. So the Electoral College is a, is a very important part of the framers' vision for the country, and it's uh, underappreciated, and I think too many folks, uh, even the rhetoric you hear, you know, so-and-so won the popular vote or lost the popular vote. Well, there's no such thing as winning or losing the popular vote. It's not relevant to the conversation because it's not how we elect our president. So. Yeah, that is very true. Uh, Chris, we got just about a minute before we have to take a break, but do you think now with how sure. big the population is uh, in each state that we should talk about even bringing an electoral college to a state level. And I bring that up because even living here in Kansas, we have just under 2 million registered voters, a relatively mm-hmm. small state. Our governor won out of 200 or uh, what, 90, 105 counties. She won with seven counties, seven. Right. And she still right. won the right. election. So is that yeah. a conversation we need to have at a state level? Well, maybe so. I mean, there's been from time to time, um, and you see it, you know, I think, in Nebraska and Maine, where they uh, it's not winner-take-all. They go by congressional district, which gives you know, the other side a, a little bit of an advantage here or there. And in a very close election, that can make a difference. But when folks say, oh, we need to end the, the, uh, modify the Electoral College, well, if you want to take California's, uh, I think it's 55 Electoral College votes and give half of those to Republicans who live off the coast, inland, well, that's fine. I'm sure we could have that conversation, because I think that the... Uh, the left would never win another national election, or not win the White House anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's a, a lot of very interesting questions ahead. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun conversation to be had there to see what we could do as we continue to grow in population, where the populations are centralized, and what kind of effect they have there. It's Chris Sinicola. Hang on the line. I want to continue this conversation when we come back. What can we do to fix these problems? How can we refocus our civics education? within the school system and get the Ute of America back on track. Lots more coming up. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Oh, man, I love how we love to pass blame off and try to play the victim here. There's a headline I just saw over the break. We'll talk more about it during our syndicated program on the weekend. You're not going to want to miss that. We have some awesome content on there, and we're going to have to have this guest on, Chris Sinicola. He's going to have to come on our weekend program as well because 
is some good stuff. But I there's a headline. Why do young people support Hamas with the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas? Look at TikTok. No, no, it's not our education system telling us that, you know, we're evil and Israel shouldn't be there. No, it's TikTok. Chinese run TikTok. That's why. That's that's why. Okay. Good to know. We're hanging out with Chris Nicola. He is the co-editor of Restoring the City on a Hill, U.S. History and Civics in America's Schools. You can find all their information at pioneerinstitute.org. Again, pioneerinstitute.org. Uh, Chris, what do you think? TikTok to blame for the lack of education in society with the young generation, right? <laughs> well, I have to tell you, Andy, every time someone at work or you know says to me, well, social media is great. I'm like, yeah, it could be a great tool. They say, we should be on TikTok. And I do that old TV uh, movie thing. No! Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust them. I mean, yeah. there's no reason we should trust TikTok, oh, right? Well, I don't, I don't trust any of them. I mean, I, I have a no. TikTok account for my phone. I use it often because I find some interesting stuff on there. But if people are concerned about, you know, the, the, the information, your personal information being gained, like the government's openly admitted Facebook and Twitter and your Google account. If you have any of these, they just collect every stuff. I mean, we should just cancel all of it. I'm, I'm for just going back to the soapbox outside and just being able to talk to people that way. Yeah, I usually just retreat into my library and read a good book. Yes, it's safer. It's a safer way to do that. I love it. Uh, yeah. we got a few minutes left here, Chris, but i got to ask sure. you that uh, along with understanding the system, understanding history, understanding mm-hmm. civics, getting them more engaged, have we seen a decline, do you think, of students that are involved in debate and in dialogue in schools? Because I loved debate when I was in high school. I sure. rocked that. I want to help out. I actually volunteered with our local school district with my daughters and trying to help out if they start a forensic team as well. It's such mm-hmm. an important, even if they're not interested in politics, learning how to have a discussion without getting emotionally angry, throwing name calling out there and just walking away. We've lost that art of conversation again. And that's something we have to bring back. Yeah, it's really hard to paddle against the tide, so to speak, because um, while those models do exist, a lot of schools do have debate and forensic teams. Um, unfortunately, the popular culture is such that everyone's yelling at each other all the time, right? So um, I think one of our recommendations in the book, and maybe this gets to the question of you know what I'm going to do about all this, is that if your state doesn't have particularly strong civics and history standards, well, get involved. And as a parent, go to school board meetings and go and you know testify at the state capitol uh, when these things come up. Uh, I think people would be both surprised and empowered to see just how much attention politicians pay to that well-informed and righteously angry parent who shows up you know, in the state capitol in Topeka, say, and says, you know, enough of this, no more. We don't agree with this. We have another another viewpoint. Um, even here in uh, deep blue Massachusetts, where Republicans are very, very thin on the ground, um, the legislature, you know, is divided between the some moderate Democrats, some far left and some ultra far left. But even here, when people raise their voices, folks like Pioneer say, hey, wait a second, you've got to be careful on taxes. You've got to have some accountability in education. They do hesitate. It really does make them stop a little bit, at least, and yeah. think things over. So, you important. have to. Yeah, you have to. You have to question it. Even if you're in the minority, mm-hmm. you have to question it and bring a little bit uh, from that other side for them to at least second guess and validate. I mean, because right now, it seems like one side is just running rampant with anything without being questioned. And even just the simple questioning makes them have to validate what they're doing, which kind of reins them in at least just a little bit, right? A little bit. Exactly right. And yeah. I think, you know, I, I feel, and I think a lot of folks I talk to 
day to day, you know, you see people on, on the train or at the supermarket and you say, do you believe this stuff is happening? And everybody kind of doesn't believe it because, frankly, most Americans, whether they're a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right on this issue or that, are somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And yet the conversation is too often captured by those on the far right or the far left. And we really need to get back to the middle. I mean, uh, people say, well, who are you going to vote for the next time up? And I said, well, is Harry Truman around? And he's not. You know? Yeah. So that's too bad. The conversation yeah. needs to happen. I love it. It is Chris yeah. Nicola. It is pioneerinstitute.org. Yeah, bringing the conversation back, having a dialogue, and being able to get people to start thinking again. Chris, we could go on forever. I'd love this conversation. we got to get you back on the show again. What do you say? Great. I'd love to do it. Absolutely, Absolutely Andy. Hey. My pleasure. Hey, likewise. Appreciate it very much. The book is Go Check It Out, Restoring the City on a Hill, U.S. History and Civics in America's Schools. Go and check it out again at pioneerinstitute.org. There it is. We're all done for the day. Back at it again on Monday. So much to cover. Make sure to check out our syndicated program over the weekend as well on so many of these same radio stations and so many more beyond that. Until then, be your own voice of reason. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.